Welcome to the Information War podcast, where we cover information warfare that Russia and its allies wage to break down democracy. I'm Liz Wall. I'm Yesikara. Today, we focus on what the war is all about, Ukraine's sovereignty and freedom to make its own choices. In particular, its choice to join European institutions rather than authoritarian Russia. And a day after the first hearing on the January 6th insurrection on the U.S. Capitol, a reminder just how precious and fragile democracy is and why Russian President Vladimir Putin launched a massive disinformation campaign to help get Trump elected in 2016. Uh, Dmitry Menko is the co-founder and senior analyst with the Ukrainian Center for European Policy. The Ukraine-based think tank works to strengthen relations with the European Union, including information, economic and energy policy. And Mitro, you've promoted Ukraine's European Union candidacy as well as countered Russian disinformation campaigns, as well as efforts undermining Ukraine's candidacy. Welcome, Mitro, to our pod. It's an honor to have such an expert with us today. Uh, hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Jessica. So, hi to everybody. Uh, we recently met up and discussed a little bit what's going on at the moment in Ukraine, and you and your family have also been forced to experience the Russian war. Can you please share your experience and how are you and your family doing right now? We managed to flee only from the second second attempt. Yeah, because the day of 24th of February was... Uh, you know, uh, seen by me like in the U.S. Uh, horror movie, yeah, with the roads, roads were stuck by cars, uh, and uh, uh, it was already um, airstrikes um, at the city outskirts. So uh, finally, we stand uh, with my parents uh, and uh, survived uh, the week uh, of uh, air and missiles attacks uh, in a bomb shelter. And uh, then uh, we made a second attempt uh, to flee. Uh, so me and my pregnant wife, uh, uh, using only one free road uh, from the southern directions. And after having two days of uh, car trip, uh, we finally got there in the beginning of March. Uh, gave a birth to a baby uh, and uh, settled here as uh, refugees. So in, in Ukraine, we call such people like me like internally displaced persons because we uh, re- we were relocated from one region uh, to another. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really feel shivers when I listen to your story and hear about your experience. And I just send so much love and warmth from Finland to you guys. And we just want to give you informational support and do all we can uh, to share awareness of what's going on in Ukraine. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Jessica. Warm wishes. I Hearing your story, I'm hearing it for the first time. Um, and it just, I can't imagine that harrowing journey that you and your pregnant wife had to take. I'm sure you never imagined uh, being internally displaced and um, it's just unimaginable. And we appreciate you sharing your your personal story and, and your professional expertise. Members of 
the European Parliament have expressed solidarity with Ukraine. And that's been really nice to see the solidarity among European countries, um, the US and Europe standing in solidarity with Ukraine, many Western leaders going to Kiev and showing their support. This is the president of the European Union. Europe stands ready to go further still. We recognize Europe's, Ukraine's, European perspective. And as our resolution clearly states, we welcome, Mr. President, Ukraine's application for candidate status, and we will work towards that goal, because we will. And they've been arguing that Ukraine is not only fighting for its sovereignty, but for democracy and European values. Can you elaborate on that? What are the values at stake? Uh, basically, you know, this story began uh, in early 2013 uh, when um, the European Union uh, offered to Ukraine the association agreement. Uh, and uh, then, um, you know, um, uh, it became a moment uh, of this geopolitical choice. Uh, Russians already uh, started uh, uh, pushing uh, their country and us towards the closed authoritarian uh, society. And the uh, European Union, I mean, was a model for democracy. And I would say that our country then uh, was split. I mean, you know, uh, approximately half, half. Yes, uh, uh, if uh, I recall uh, those times opinion polls. So uh, half the population wanted, uh, I mean, to be the Europeans, yes, and was stick to uh, democratic value. But another half, uh, you know, tend to. Um, uh, be associated with Russia and, you know, offered, uh, not offered, but desired a kind of strong hand, yeah, like in position him uh, in those times. Uh, so uh, now uh, the, the latest opinion polls after Russia started its blatant attack on Ukraine, uh, you know, it diminished this Russian percentage of uh, people I mean, to minimum. So now it's uh, already more than 90% uh, of people, I mean, want uh, to join the European Union, they want to defend uh, the democratic values. Because every, everybody saw now uh, what, what, what Russians are really are. And, uh, what, what, what they really aim to do. They want to destroy our state. Russians uh, uh, will never be trusted uh, and will be hated in Ukraine, uh, I mean, for centuries, I guess, after, after this war. Right, and I believe that's true in many other countries as well. I can, I can confirm. Uh, just yesterday, we read news that the European Parliament would recommend EU leaders to grant Ukraine uh, candidate status. Can you please elaborate what does that mean and where are we now at the moment with Ukraine's and European Union's relations? Uh, you know, the candidacy talks became very much surprising for me, yeah, a professional in this field, uh, because, you know, uh, in January uh, I was predicting that, uh, okay, we will come to the candidate stage somewhere in 2030s uh, alike. 
Yeah, and uh, you know the war um, triggered this process uh, dramatically, uh, and uh, both uh, our president uh, and the president of the European Commission, yes, I mean, decided to make this political gesture and uh, to provide uh, the candidate status to Ukraine. I mean, out of out of schedule, so it became uh, uh, too much fast. Yes, you know, and. Uh, but but it's a necessary uh, step uh, now uh, and a sign of support, gesture of support uh, from Europe to us uh, that very that very much appreciated. I mean, both by our politicians and um, society. Uh, so the current status uh, you probably know this um, decision to, uh, has divided Europe uh, on two camps. Yes, so one are uh, clear supporters of this uh, Ukraine. Uh, I mean, the desire uh, to be a candidate uh, and will vote uh, for this decision at uh, the, the next European Council meeting. So, but uh, there is a Ukraine skeptic camp, as I call it, uh, mainly the old EU members like uh, Germany, France, Netherlands, Austria, etc. Uh, they want uh, to delay this process uh, by giving us um, uh, some intermediate, intermediate uh, status or steps. Uh, like a candidate to the candidacy or uh, some kind of uh, alternative integration. Uh, so I, I read uh, more than five types uh, of similar uh, approach. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is the current situation. As you detailed, and as we're seeing in horror, Russia for so long has been so resistant to the point that it has now that it's now invading a sovereign country leaving a trail of war crimes in its wake. Um, and it really is unfathomable that this is happening in 2022. Um, as a result of Ukraine's sovereign decisions to join the West um, and, and to join European democracies economically and politically, can you, uh, what what is behind this? You know, why does Russia hate the West so much? Why is it so resistant to Ukraine joining Western institutions to the point that it's resorted to this? Uh, right, right, Elizabeth. So, um, it, it, you know, uh, it, it becomes clear, clearer when uh, you realize the ultimate goal of Russia uh, is, uh, that is, uh, I mean, uh, to capture Ukraine. Uh, using uh, a wide range of instruments, so uh, uh, the final of which is war. Indeed, so uh, if Ukraine uh, uh, did not uh, resist uh, this process that started since, since 2014, and uh, my experience uh, demonstrates that the war started uh, in early 2014 when Russia saved Crimea and. Uh, illegally occupied uh, a part of Donbass. Yeah, Russia, for example, managed to capture Belarus without even a shot. <laughs> yes, now it, it's formally independent, but under complete control of Russia. And uh, the Putin strategy was similar to Ukraine. I mean, started 
first uh, uh, with attempts to integrate it to the customs union uh, dominated by Russia. Uh, then it was um, a role of uh, economic blockade of uh, Ukrainian uh, industries that were dependent on Russian markets. Then uh, they resisted much to the association agreement in 2014 15. Uh, and there was my first time I saw the massive information campaigns uh, on media and uh, social media led by Russians. And, and now, um, uh, over the last two years, they tried to set up um, their pro Russian political power in Ukraine, but again failed. And uh, having no other, I mean, non-military arguments uh, in in pockets, uh, they you know uh, uh, started a blatant war. So uh, directly uh, try to seizure our country. Really interesting what you tell about those campaigns. Uh, could you please uh, go into a little bit more detail uh, and? describe those Kremlin's campaigns against Ukraine's attempts to improve its ties to the EU? And also, have those campaigns been effective? Uh, well, uh, it, it, it's a quite long story. Um, and uh, the first uh, we, the, the first uh, reasonable uh, efforts for me uh, was uh, uh, just uh, right after after my after my dawn burst uh, and uh, uh, you know russians became uh, i mean to blame uh, this maidan movement uh, i mean uh, in media in, in in social media and especially the association agreement uh, you know as a underground as a core reason that Maidan raised. Uh, and uh, I, I remember that uh, they targeted uh, the pro-Russian, uh, and not only pro-Russian, but the anti-Western uh, part of the population, um, uh, to- talking to them with the message that, uh, okay, the social agreement will mean the economic slavery for Ukraine, that uh, our traditional industries uh, dependent on Russian market will collapse. Uh, you all guys uh, uh, will be the workers uh, uh, on the European Union, I mean, uh, some dirty enterprises, uh, so, uh, etc., etc. Uh, I mean, it was so massive and uh, well-coordinated uh, that, uh, I mean, we decided to launch, launch a special counter-disinformation campaign. And uh, in 2014, uh, we, we tried to resist somehow. Uh, we had a project uh, financed by the uh, British Embassy in Kiev. Yes, Ukraine really has been on the front lines of Russia's information war since at least 2014, Ukraine being one of its earliest information war targets. Um, Jessica and I have been covering Russian information warfare since 2014 and the many ways Russia uses non-traditional ways to influence democracies. You mentioned earlier that they took Belarus without firing a shot, um, you know, uh, influencing their leaders and general populations through disinformation and other methods. 
One common theme in Russian disinformation is to sow division between EU countries and NATO members. So what kind of campaigns has Russia conducted in order to hinder Ukraine's integration, your efforts uh, for integration with the European Union? And has it succeeded, would you say, in cultivating anti-EU messages or movements? Uh, they hired uh, the so-called uh, independent experts that we are pro de, de facto translated for Russian messages. Uh, you know, they elaborated, uh, I mean, all, all, all the media and social networks, uh, resources. The Russian bots, we are proactive in social, uh, me uh, social media, especially in commentaries uh, under the Facebook posts. We must fight the Kremlin's disinformation campaign. And I call on social media and tech conglomerates to take their responsibility seriously and to understand that there is no being neutral between the fire and the fire brigade. Do you think the Western decision makers are taking Russia's information warfare seriously enough? Or should there be more counter projects and campaigns, for example, similar as yours, in order to help the victims of the Kremlin's information warfare? So, uh, in my personal opinion, uh, the European Union was a bit relaxed. I mean, uh, until uh, February this year. So, because uh, what, what they did, they launched the disinformation service. Uh, uh, at the European Commission, uh, th that okay? Uh, it, it was gathering all the disinformation sources, publishing uh, leaflets, uh, and uh, so um, a kind of analytics. Uh, but the majority of uh, uh, Russian TV channels, YouTube channels, so all, all this is propagandist machine uh, on TV media involving experts. It was working, you know, without I mean any impediment. Um, and uh, on now, uh, the European Union started uh, uh, to close uh, channels, uh, uh, and they realized, uh, you know, the level of influence on population. Uh, because uh, uh, Russians now try uh, to influence, uh, you know, the simple people in the European Union countries. So, like they are now playing around with refugees from Ukraine, they launch massive efforts in Germany, as far as I know. I mean, uh, trying trying to scare the local people with, uh, I mean, angry Ukrainian refugees, and even the stories that. Single Ukrainian women uh, will steal your husbands, from the families, so, and uh, and another stupid stories. Uh, but you know they, they try uh, to nuclearize uh, all all this skeptical part of the EU population. By the same, uh, by the way, this is the same people uh, that they usually didn't support the COVID campaigns. So you know, uh, very skeptical the European Union idea or opposition to Brussels. Yes, and, and now they use it uh, uh, just to shut down the idea of the candidacy. And uh, it's especially painful in the countries where the a portion of such skeptical population is quite high. I mean, like in Germany or the Netherlands. So the last type of this 
campaign uh, we saw in 2016 in Netherlands when the country voted against uh, um, Ukraine's aspiration to join the European Union. Um, I want to ask you before we go, what do you want the world to know about this stage of Russia's war in Ukraine? Uh, let's say uh, uh, that uh, this war uh, should give you a clear uh, uh, indicator that uh, uh, Russia will stop only when it requires Ukraine completely. Other uh, Russians uh, uh, declared targets like uh, just to, um, uh, freeing Donbass or protecting Russian speaking speaking population or denazification, like they argue this time. Uh, you know, um, uh, it, it, it's a lie. They they fight to restore. I mean, the modern re reincarnation of Russian Empire, uh, and this is a real Putin strategy. Uh, and Ukraine, with no exaggeration, uh, it, it protects Europe. Because uh, if we fail, yeah, Putin uh, will feel confidently, uh, I mean, to continue. Uh, and uh, so probably the Eastern Europe or Baltic states uh, uh, would be the next uh, target Russian invasion. And it's not only about... Um, you know, uh, this geopolitics, uh, Ukraine's also fight uh, for their future. Yes, because now that Russian masks are off, we see that, uh, you know, uh, they, 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 they tried uh, to, to create the authoritarian regime and include the Ukrainians there. And uh, we, don't, we, don't want, we don't want it. So a part of I mean, fight for Europe, uh, we fight for our independence. And the stories, uh, horrible stories on the temporarily occupied territories show that, uh, I mean, Russia makes, uh, I mean, everything uh, to, to destroy it, uh, any, uh, any people or any portion of population that wants uh, to be free. And so, for example, if Russians would have seized Kiev, so me and my family, I mean, would be also uh, primary targets for them. So, because of, uh, I, I work for European integration, yes, and resisted the Russians' efforts, efforts to, you know, to conquer us uh, without a shot, as I say. So it's a fight for our freedom, for our survival as a country and the nation. And no peace deal or appeasement of Putin will not work. You are fighting for yourself and actually on behalf of all Western world. Uh, but thank you, Dmitry, so much for your uh, providing time and expertise and for this extremely important and fascinating uh, interview and we wish much success to your uh, work and thank you so much for sharing with us how to counter Russian information warfare and of course also warmest greetings to your family. Yeah, thank you Jessica, thank you Elizabeth.